Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and joining me today is the award-winning author, genealogist, and sculpturist, Kathy Lynn Marshall, for a conversation entitled, Did My Ancestor Crash the 1855 Fusion Republican Convention? Well, for 36 years, Kathy Marshall was a researcher, analyst, personnel consultant, and technical writer for the California Highway Patrol. Since 1993, she has been the owner and sculpture author for her Kanika Marshall Art and Book business. Self-publishing since 2017, she has been on a roll publishing The Ancestors of Smiling, Finding Ofa, The Search for Our Enslaved Williams Ancestors, Finding Daisy, From the Deep South to the Promised Land, and The Mystery of Margaret Booker. She has also been published in the National and Northern California Augs quarterly, quarterly newsletters. So let me give a warm welcome to Kathy Lynn Marshall to the show. Or maybe I should say welcome back, Kathy. Thank you so much, so much, Bernice. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to have you because let me tell you something. I'm really interested in this topic, a topic that I don't think I've known that much about. So why is this topic so important? Well, in this day and age of political upheaval, right, you know, half of Americans think one way and the other half of Americans think another between Democrats and Republicans, I was so proud to know that one of my ancestors was a fighter for for justice And he was willing to brave recapture into bondage for the love of his family. So this is about Edward Bacchus, and he was part of the American story that needs to be told. Well, okay, so it needs to be told. But why are you so passionate, you know, about bringing this particular story to life or the stories to life? Well, I think we all know, uh, I'm, I'm sick and tired of not seeing more than two pages about black folk in American history class. You know what I'm saying? How does uh-huh. that make our black children feel? 
Um, we are just regarded as ignorant slaves and, and not worth anything. So I want to encourage others to write their family stories and get those experiences with the American and world history events out there so that people know about our history and that we help to build this country. That's going to help lift the esteem of our black children who are often told we're worth nothing and also educate the majority populace to the significant contributions we've made in this country. Come on now. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that you're right on target as far as really being passionate about bringing those stories to life. So what do you want people to learn from this topic? Um, you know, all the experts like you and, and Black Pro Gen Live, they always tell us, look at newspapers. In addition to census records, death, you know, birth certificates, death records, the normal things, also look at newspapers. And I kind of look, but eh, I, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. So the point of this story is that Google, newspapers, and court records can help obliterate our brick walls. And they can tie our black ancestors to the American historical record, which is what my goal is, to get our stories out there. So old newspapers can be a great source of information, not only just the marriages and the deaths in prison and, like, poll tax. I could find my relatives in the poll tax non-payment. <laughs> um, probate sales, runaways. But they also have things about their lives, the actual, you know, the state fairs and who won the peach pie competition and and just gives you a, a, a wide, uh, wider knowledge of who our people could be. I found over 70 articles about my grandmother, Daisy, showing pictures of her and about her life, and I could write about those. So check out newspapers. So here's the deal. Imagine my surprise when an 1855 newspaper article connected my fourth great-grandfather, Edward Backus, to the Fusion Convention. Well, I don't know what the fusion convention was <laughs> most people don't but, uh, anyway, <laughs> most people don't know right i have tried to find out there's a fusion convention included members of the budding republican party which was established in 1854 okay it wasn't always with us the know nothing party and a small portion of southern democrats who didn't believe in slavery and then there were some other non-slavery groups and they all called themselves ohio called it the Fusion Party, and so they were having a convention in 1855. So the following event that I want to talk about occurred five years before Abraham Lincoln was elected the first Republican president, and one of my ancestors crashed their party, showed up, asking for their help, and I just thought that was crazy. It was in a newspaper article. I didn't know anything about that. I can imagine how you felt when you saw that. What's the yeah. Fusion Party? You know, so yep. so take us back. Okay, take us back to your journey. How did you get started on this particular journey? Okay, um, this particular one started in 1976. That's when I wrote letters to my grandmothers asking about our lineage and why do we look the way we look. And my mom's mother didn't know, so she pushed my request onto Great Uncle George Booker. Now, the book I'm, I was writing was Margaret Booker, so this, this is a direct line person who I began speaking with in 1976. And he told me some tidbits about her that were fabulous, and, and then our family historian um, presented some of these tidbits about Margaret Booker's life at our 1983 and our 2003 family reunion. And, you know, so that's what kind of got me interested in Booker. We, 
we only had two family stories. One was about Margaret Booker, and the other story was about a fellow named Philip Myers. And that's it. And so I've just been, you know, really excited about that, but never could find anything about her until um, I really, really set my mind to it in, I think, October 2019, I guess it was, that I started working on her story. And so I was knee-deep into the, you know, this fourth book, The Mystery of Market Booker, when I stumbled upon this fabulous newspaper article. And uh, anyway, Margaret came from Beverly, Randolph County, in what is now West Virginia. West Virginia became a state in June, two, uh, June 20th, 1863. Um, but my third great-grandmother was born in 1834, died in 1911 in Barnesville, Ohio. So I just wanted to prove or disprove that family lore that we heard about our um, great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother. It's just a, an amazing story. Well, it does sound like an amazing story. So, what's the story? I mean, take us take us through the journey, as I said. Tell us about it, and you know, you have to also tell us more about that newspaper, because one of the things that you mentioned, you found a lot of articles. It wasn't just that one, but you have found a lot of different things in the newspaper. So, that's definitely one source that you want to emphasize over and over again, look in the newspapers. So yeah. tell us what's the story, okay? I'll make, I'll make it as quick as possible because uh, I know we don't have a <laughs> lot of time. So according to family lore, soon after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in January 1863, Margaret, my third great-grandmother, was given a buckboard by her owner who was surnamed Earl, E-A-R-L-E. Okay, so I've known that since 1976. We didn't know his first name or whether his last name was actually Early. See, with a, that ends in a Y. There's a lot of Kirstens and Earlies with black folks in the history book. Anyway, he told her to take their five children into the free state of Ohio. Now, it was in the middle of Civil War fighting, so how did she do that? Uh, anyway, her eldest child was named Job. He was about nine, and he would turn out to be my second great-grandfather, uh, he called himself Joseph Booker when he made it to Ohio. And so that's what it, that's what it was. Basically, um, here this woman with five children under the age of 10 was given a buckboard by the children's father and master and said, take it into Ohio and be free. And so it was sometime in 1863. And, and so that's, that's the first part of the story. I wanted to corroborate. Is that true? How did she do that? Can you imagine? I don't think she read, knew how to read. How do you go 150 miles on a horse and a buggy with your children? Anyway, so that's part of the long story. We don't have time to get into the details. Um, but I looked at all of the normal census records, land records, birth, death. I did take a trip to Beverly, Randolph County, West Virginia, in October 2019. Um, and I went to the courthouse saw all I could see. There weren't a lot of slaves in Randolph. And so, so fine. So basically, <clears throat> I became pen pal with the executive director of the Beverly Heritage Center. This is another great tool. If there was a, a historical society in the county or town where your ancestors live, or a heritage center, or a museum, anything like that, do contact them, and they can be your best friends. The exciting thing about this fellow is because of COVID, their historical, their heritage center was closed. 
So he started giving spread, uh, I guess you call them um, streaming programs, history lessons mm-hmm. online every Saturday morning. And this one morning, my ancestors pushed me, wake up, wake up, get up, get on this, get on the internet right now, get on the Beverly Heritage Center, do it now. And I said, but they don't, but they're not listening to me, they're not responding to me, do it now, get on it now. And I did, and that's where I saw these streaming presentations live, going on right then at that moment, a streaming presentation that I knew nothing about before, and there was a slide that came across the screen that said, a woman named Margaret. And that slide told me that my third great-grandmother was owned by more than one person. It was a bill of sale for my Margaret. I mean, now what kind of coincidence wow. is that? I'm sorry. So, so do get in touch and, and be sure to uh, make contact with your historical societies. So I'm, I'm thrilled. And so I'm, I'm into the research on Margaret. I find out that once she leaves Beverly, she goes to Barnesville, Ohio, which is near the Ohio West Virginia border. It's separated by the Ohio River. The 1870 census, right? That's our next step. I find her there. She's with some of her children, but there's also an elderly couple living with her, and they were uh, named Edward and Eve Bacchus, and it looked like they would have been born around 1791 and 1800, and they were living with Margaret and a couple, few of her children in Barnesville. And so one of my goals is always to go back one generation from the person I'm writing the book about. So I wanted to know Margaret's parents. Who were they? And this 1870 census, I made an assumption, Edward and Eve Bacchus were her parents. They're living there, mm-hmm. makes sense. But as genealogists, we can't just go with one bit of information. We have to have at least, what, three documents. And uh, anyway, so I found um, an 1899 marriage certificate for Margaret's son. And by then, Edward H. Booker, he was the first child who was born in Ohio in 1864, so his name was Edward, the same as Edward Bacchus. So that was one clue that, hmm, Margaret named her son Edward. She's living with some an elderly, maybe, they, maybe that is his grandfather. H. Booker, who was born around um, 1864 in Ohio, and it indicated that Hugh, H-U-G-H, Hugh Booker was his father, and Margaret Bacchus was his mother. So to me, that's corroboration that Margaret is the daughter of Edward Bacchus because it is on a marriage certificate. It's a likely. It's likely. So those were just more, you know, okay, so fine. So I'm, I'm kind of confident, but that's still not enough. I still want to know more. So the next step was to look in the 1860 census to see, you know, where they where they were. Um, were any of them free as of 1860? And I looked in Virginia, where they were all born, and I did not find an Edward Bacchus or an Eve Bacchus. So, and I looked everywhere, not just Randolph County, but all of what is now West Virginia. And I couldn't find anyone. So I looked in Ohio, and lo and behold, that's where they were. I found them in the 1860 census, and um, yeah, and it was in a county um, called Starks County in the northern part of Ohio. And I thought, well, well, how is that possible? How is that possible that they can be there in Ohio in 1860? That means that they were free. So when did they achieve their freedom? So I needed to find out more about Edward and Eve Bacchus. And that's when Google 
became my best friend. It's always our best friend forever. And I started <laughs> typing in Ed, Edward, Ned, Bacchus, spelled any every way you could possibly think Bacchus would be spelled. B-A-C-K-U-S, B-A-C-C-H-U-S. Typed in Randolph County. I typed in Virginia. I typed in Mount, Mount Union, Starks, Ohio, which is where they were living in 1860. I used quote marks surrounding some of the words, every kind of permutation you could imagine. My efforts failed over and over again to find anything useful until one morning, again, the ancestors pressed me on the shoulder, get up, get up, type this. And they told me to type a specific combination of words, Edward, comma, Bacchus, comma, 1850-1880, comma, Ohio. And guess what? An article popped up. And this article was dated July 14, 1855, from the Weekly Ported Sentinel newspaper in Ohio. And if I can just read it, it's one paragraph. It's a short article. Oh, please do. Yes. Girl, it says, Fusion Benevolence. The slave case again. Slaves made free. Ned Bacchus, the Negro slave from Virginia, who applied to the Fusion Convention on the 4th for aid and received 82 and a half cents, we are glad to learn has made up the whole sum necessary to secure the purchase of his family. Much credit is due to Bernard Tyler Esquire of Ravenna, who became individually responsible to the master for the payment of a whole sum demanded for the purchase, and who acted as the agent and friend of Mr. Bacchus in obtaining the liberty of his wife and children. By Mr. Tyler's agency mainly, has the freedom of the family been affected? That's July 14, 1855. Oh, my goodness. How did you react when you found that? I I was jumping and yelling and screaming, and I say, I oh, my God, were. because I hadn't found any newspaper articles. It was just that one specific, so keep on trying, folks. That's the, that's the don't give up. There's likely something in the newspaper about our people. We just have to keep trying, and that's that's the key. So anyway, so I, so I looked at it and I said, what do you mean, the slave case again? Does that mean it was written about before this date? And that's when I started looking even further for more newspaper articles. So, so I, I started looking in the weekly Ported Sentinel newspaper, specifically for Edward Ned Bacchus. And there were more. There was a very lengthy article written in um, August uh, 18th. 1855, a whole column and a half. And if you know those old newspapers that were really long, a lot of information, names, dates, places, the events that actually happened to make this, uh, to make this, to make this happen. And I knew nothing about it. My family knew nothing about this. None of them knew anything about Edward Backus living with Margaret Booker. Not even our family historian, who's super fantastic. So anyway, yes, um, so I looked, I found more, and then I had to start, well, well, what is a fusion convention? What is that? And trying to figure out, well, how did all this occur? <laughs> so I looked at court records, and there's, there's a source that I think you have probably, and, and your guests have probably talked about. This is the source that genealogybank.com, it's a newspaper service, 
as well as yes. newspapers.com. They are newspaper services that you can purchase. I think they're like $50 a year or something. And you might want to look into them. Also, though, there is a freebie, and that is, um, what is that? It's the Library of Chronicling America? Yes, Chronicling America. These articles are in Chronicling America, too. So chroniclingamerica.com, I believe, is a free source. And I would definitely recommend that your audience check into that source. But um, anyway, but genealogybank.com recommended a book to me called Census Substitutes and State Census Records, and I got the volume one for eastern states. So for all states that are on the eastern coast, they have in this book specific links, URLs. So you can go directly, you can type in the actual website address for very, very specific files. Those, many people don't have Ancestry.com because it's just too different expensive. So for those who don't have Ancestry.com and want some freebies, they will give you a list, like online resources at the West Virginia Archives and History website with very, very specific um, data sets that you can get on your computer. I'm in California. It's really hard for me to go back and forth to the, West, you know, to the East Coast. And so sometimes it's just nice to be able to sit there. Now, these are not generally indexed records, meaning you have to read each and every page, but that's a good thing because then you find out who lives in that neighborhood with your ancestor, and you get an idea of, of what's important there. But through those um, court records, I did find proof of, of everything. I found out that um, my fourth great-grandfather was freed, um, uh, his, his owner was probably at Abraham Crouch or one of his brothers in Randolph County, West Virginia. And Abraham Crouch died in 1849, but my ancestor wasn't freed until five years later in 1854. It sounds like my ancestor, based on court records, was loaned out often to different uh, farmers, probably in uh, Huttonsville, or in what is now Elkins. He was probably 64 years old when he was freed, according to the, what I call the court minutes. So each time you, you, um, there's a, a, a court is in session, there's someone that's handwriting what happened, what the, a summary of all of the events that happened during each day. And so I went through each and every page and found out as much as I could between 1854 and 1855. And... Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I found out the details of Ned's struggle to free his family, his wife Eve and his daughters, and Zina Elizabeth and Laura Sophia. And so, yeah, just lots of detail um, that helped to paint a picture of what happened. And so then it was like, okay, well, I have these sex. Well, how did he do that? Can you imagine if you had an enslaved ancestor who was 64 years old, newly freed, right, in the Beverly is located on the eastern side of West Virginia, as close to Maryland as you can get almost. Okay, so he had to go all the way across the state, going west, across the Ohio River, and further to go all the way up to the northern part of Ohio. That's like 150 miles in 1855. How did he do it? 
So then that's what the story be, uh, became, is how to figure that out. And the fellows at the Beverly Heritage Center really helped me determine what route would he have taken, where were the underground railroad stations or Quakers or how that might have happened. And that's how I wrote it up in Chapter 7 of the book, um, how that probably occurred. So to me, that's brave. Well, this is one of those really amazing stories. And let me just for a minute go back. You said 2019. So from 2019 to 2020, you Mm -hmm. began to pull all of this together, or am I missing some years Hmm. here? Because it sounds like you pulled it all together quickly. I have to. So my personal mandate is one book a year, and it, but it's on one person. It's not on all of my family lines because I, mm-hmm. I need to get it done. So, so each book project starts October 1st of the year, and I finish it before you know, December of the following year. So it's within that. Like a, uh, Margaret Booker was published on Halloween in 2020. 2020. So, so yeah, so that's why there's a need to to stay busy and focused, but just sit, focus on one person and then you can do it and just only focus on that one person and the generation back. And I always try to, I have to find the slave owner. We don't know anything about any slave owners. So that part is the hard part. And right. so, but once you, once you get going and you make, and again, I, I was lucky. I had a wonderful uh, uh, ally in um Dr. Milke, Chris Milke of the Beverly Heritage Center, a wonderful mm-hmm. ally. He and he, for whatever reason, he decided to put stuff about black folks in his streaming uh, presentations. I believe I found Margaret's mother that way too, Ginger mm-hmm. Cake Peg. She's in Chapter Eight, but he was so helpful. Don't a lot of us uh, black folks, I believe, tend to stay amongst ourselves. We need. In this case, if you've, if you've got, and we do, most of us have slave owners in our history, we've got to rely on some of these white folks that are out there and reach out and try to get them to help. And there are, there are many out there. Yes, it is a charged political climate right now, and that's why I wanted to bring this story to light. Because back then, if I might, if I might leave just a, a little bit what I was just saying, Back then, it was the, the parties were reversed, and the Republican Party back in the 1800s was more pro-let all citizens be under the mantle of the Constitution, whereas back then, it was the Southern Democrats that wanted to keep slavery. They wanted uh-huh. to keep us in a position, and then today, some might suggest it's the reverse. I'm not going to get into politics, but I'm just saying that's why I wanted to bring this up, because the division back then in the states half were for the union and half were against right that's why we had the civil war and same thing now half of the people vote one way and half of the people vote the other in general it's a really slim margin of difference between them and so i just thought it was pretty cool and that i had an ancestor that was brave enough to you know we had the 1850 slave act right the fugitive slave act and so here he is, a, a, perhaps a solitary individual, just newly freed, 64 years of age, which nowadays isn't old. We're, that's my age. 
we young now, but back then, 64 is pretty good <laughs> to reach, right? And here he's somehow oh. making his way across the whole state of West Virginia, going all the way up Ohio to stand in front of people he doesn't know at a convention and plead his case to try to get people to help, to help him free his family. That's what the story is all about. And he did it for the love of his family. He braved all those potential patrollers, you know, patrollers, picking him up and putting him back in slavery. He, he braved all that. And so um, I had uh, a lot of enjoyment in crafting uh, the chapter that, that chronicles his possible journey and how he did it and who he met along the way. But this is Bernard Tyler. He just, uh, he took an interest in him and, uh, anyway, but yeah, there were a lot of law- lawsuits um, during this 1854 to 1855 period in uh, in Randolph County, and those were all documented in the court records. Many, many, many times he would try to get his family freed, and the jury would continue it three days from now. Come back in three days. Come back in three. Oh, well, we can't decide yet if we should be free. Come back. Oh, well, we've got to do it until next year. We've got to continue this until the next season and that's why it went on for about a year and his lawyer said you know dude they're not going to move you need to get some help elsewhere why don't you go to the fusion convention and maybe somebody will help you get your folks free and this Bernard Tyler did that he then became a judge and that was his goal is to be for the for the, the what do you call it the underdogs yes well this is such an amazing story that I want to just say people should should read your book. So tell us how can they get a hold of your book and the name of um, your book. Oh, sure. Um, all of my books are on Amazon. That's the easiest for people. This particular, the last, uh, under my name, Kathy Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, Marshall, and that's Kathy with a K. And so they're, they're all there on Amazon together. Um, or my website, www. KanikaMarshall.com. That's K-A-N-I-K-A-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L.com if you want an autograph copy. A lot of people prefer to have an autograph copy. So you have your choices there. And The Mystery of Margaret Booker is this book that contains this incredible story um, of of bravery. And in all my books, I have um, hints and tips on different resources that well, that I tried, and you might they might work for you. It also has in the appendix the full um, genealogical process that I took. What were all the questions? What were the mm-hmm. proofs? Et cetera, et cetera. And, I, and uh, someone named Bernice Bennett suggested that, well, just, just leave the story a story, and, and if you need to put the research stuff, then maybe do it in the back. And so I did that because I really... <laughs> I think that's a good. I think because not everyone cares about that stuff, and I and a lot of people just want the story, and the story is rich, and the story is exciting, and the story I'm sure happens to a lot of people. Um, yeah, yeah. Margaret, I, I put in the back of the book that she left West Virginia for a grisly reason, because of a grisly reason, and that is described in the book, and that's a reason that happens. That's something that happens to a lot of women especially black women, especially. Well, so, well um, they have yeah. to read the book to find out what happened. So let's talk about, yep. do you have any closing remarks before we close out today? Um, really just to remind people, use Google to search online, 
check out chroniclingamerica.loc.gov. I said it incorrectly before. So Chronicling America is one word, period, L-O-C, period, G-O-V, for newspapers from the 1800s. And a lot of other really interesting, a lot of photographs. It's really great. Um, search for our ancestor stories in newspapers, because different newspapers, because sometimes the, de- the, the details vary. So this particular story was covered in many different newspapers east of the Mississippi, and sometimes there were different facts in different ones uh, of those. And um, you know, use the names, the dates, the places found in newspaper articles to then go and search probate records and census and landies and court documents like these meeting minutes that I read, so much so much really good information. But use those as little stepping stones to finding more rich detail about your ancestors. And then again, this census substitutes and state census records books are available. And just, you know, look for your state and uh, be vigilant. Don't give up. And write and publish your ancestors' stories while you can, please. While you can, we don't all live forever. We got to get to stepping. That's it. Wow. This is just wonderful, Kathy. And I just want to thank you for joining me today. And remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. And you should follow the clues presented to you, just as Kathy mentioned in her closing remarks family records local resources, newspapers, and, of course, research at the National Archives. So I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you so much, Kathy. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you, Bernice. Bye-bye. 